Christian Contrast, where we talk about how walking with Jesus leads us to live differently than the world around us. Uh, and I'm Dan, here with the solo episode, and today I'm going to talk about why I am a complementarian. Uh, now, first of all, just to define terms here, a lot of you will know what I mean when I say I'm a complementarian, um, at least in general terms. But this is delving into the debate about men and women and complementarians versus egalitarians. Um, and I want to define the term complementarian, at least for how I'm going to use it here, because um, some people don't like the term complementarian because they think it's sexist. They're egalitarians and they think that this is just a bad position. Um, there are some other people that are actually more sort of on the conservative side that don't like the term complementarian because they feel like it sort of is a watered down, wishy-washy way of dealing with male-female issues. So uh, I'll give a definition that I'm going to use throughout this video for complementarian. What I mean is that um, I believe that God has created men and women fully equal in value and dignity, but he's created us differently. And those differences are more than just the roles that we play. A lot of times in the debates or discussions about complementarianism, we talk about roles, that there's a role for the man and a role for the woman within the church. There's a role for the man and a role for the woman within the home. There are those, but that is not the core of complementarianism. What we believe is that these are things that are created in us, that God made us male and female, and that he created with us within us different ways that we are in the world. And so those roles that we play within marriage and within the church and within society flow out of the fact that he's made us differently and that those differences complement each other. We're not in competition with each other. We help complement each other. We help complete each other. We bring things together where the idea is that God is seen more fully through male and female than if the whole human race was male or if the whole human race was female. So that's what I mean when I talk about complementarianism. I still like the term because I feel like it's a positive term in talking about the idea that God has created us uniquely. He's created us equal. Yeah, he's created us different, and the whole key is that we're not supposed to sort of try to either compete with each other, or we're not supposed to try to exalt one and denigrate the other, and we're also not supposed to minimize our differences. Like, let's just sort of minimize the difference differences between men and women. I think that we're better off to elevate those differences and talk more about those, because those are what make us both valuable, why it's so great that we have men and women. And so before getting into the four reasons that I'm going to give for why I'm a complementarian, I just want to say that I think right now we have maybe three categories of people when it comes to this debate. Um, and the first is that we have people who are just egalitarian. Um, and from that, egalitarian sounds like a great term. We're like, oh, that, that has to do with e equality. And so who wouldn't want to be an egalitarian that we believe men and women are equal? We all believe men and women are equal. It, it is the very rare, bizarre person who thinks that we are not equal before God in dignity and status and in our humanity and bearing his image and all of that. That's not where the debate is. The debate that buddy egalitarians would say, hey, men and women can hold any role within the church. There's no submission within marriage. We're just sort of equal partners in this. So egalitarians, so, so we've got egalitarians. Then we have what I like to call sort of apologetic complementarians, where the way we treat it, we're almost like, hey, it wasn't my idea. It's in the Bible. So we, even if we don't like it, we, we got to do what the Bible says, and this is what God says. So wives do need to submit to husbands, and sorry, women, you're not allowed to be elders. And 
gosh, don't blame me, like blame the Bible. And, and then we go out of our way to, to sort of say, but here are all the things that you can still, here are all the things that women can still do. Like, all right, you're not allowed to do this and sorry about that, but you're still allowed to do all of these other things. And so there, there's almost this minimalization where we're like, all right, we're going to hold to the Bible. We're not going to rebel against the Bible where we're, we're going to say that we need to do this, but we're not joyfully embracing this. We're sort of begrudgingly, apologetically taking this on. Um, and the third category, the, the category that I want to dwell in, um, is the complementarians who embrace it, um, who talk about it confidently, who talk about it non-apologetically, because we're not apologetic. This is God's word. It, in a similar way to where um, it, it frustrates me sometimes when people who are pro-life are sort of apologetically pro-life, like, hey, I'm pro-life, but I still do care about women. Uh, I'm like, you You don't need to act like the pro-choice person who thinks that we should be able to kill babies has the moral high ground and that you need to sort of prove your bona fides to them. You can say, I'm pro-life. You can say it with confidence. You can say it with conviction that this is the, the godly position to have. In a similar way, I, I don't think that we should have any qualms about saying, yeah, absolutely, I'm complementarian. Absolutely, I believe that men and women are created with equal status before God, but God has made us different, and those differences play themselves out, and Scripture gives us some clear guidance on this. We can be confident about this, not because we have pride in and of ourselves, but because we have confidence that what God has said is good, and God doesn't need anybody to apologize for him. So that's the intro, and now I'm going to give my, my four reasons why I'm a complementarian. Um, the first reason is this, and in many ways, the first reason is the overarching reason. First reason is that um, complementarian, the complementarian position represents the plainest reading of Scripture. Now, egalitarians make a case from Scripture. They, they do try to say that, that they think, yeah, Scripture teaches this or maybe is leading us to this, but sometimes with, with an issue this comes up, I just think like, all right, if if somebody who had never cracked open a Bible before was just given a Bible and read through it without sort of any outside influence, what would they come up with? And I just don't think that there's any doubt that if somebody read this, read the Bible just on its face about what it says about men and women, would come away saying, oh, well, clearly what this book is teaching is that there's no submission or headship within marriage. It's, it's just an equal partnership. And clearly what this book is teaching is that um, women can hold any role in the church and there's no unique roles uh, held only for men and, and for male leadership. Clearly the Bible's not teaching that. that. That just seems very, very silly. It is just the plainest reading of the Old Testament and the New Testament. And, and I say it this way because being the plainest reading does not necessarily mean it's right. There could be, especially individual passages, and, and some of you might be thinking this, that if you read something like in the Gospel of John when Jesus says, um, uh, the Father is greater than I, um, if you read that sort of in isolation, you would think like, well, the plainest way to understand that would, would seem to mean that God the Father is of higher status. He's sort of a higher being, a greater being than the Son. Um, if you're reading at a plain level, that might be what you would come up with, but then you would have this wealth of other passages that would make you say, I should doubt that plain reading. I, I, I should be suspicious that that plain reading probably isn't all there is to it, because we have Jesus saying, I and the Father are one, and, and all of these other things. And so sometimes you can have a plain reading, and you can suspect maybe that plain reading 
isn't right. And so that could happen with this. You could say somebody might even grant it. I, I would hope that everybody would grant that, would say, all right, uh, on face value, the plainest reading of Scripture would lead us to a complementarian position, not an egalitarian position. Um, it's, by the way, why this is also not just a position throughout church history, but the position throughout church history. Um, one of the things that happens with these debates is we tend to look at it and we say, hey, there's good Christians on both sides of this. Um, and I'm not saying that there are not good Bible-believing Christians on the egalitarian side, but what I want to make sure we're all clear on is the fact that this is not a centuries-long or millennia-long debate. There are certain debates within Christianity where, I mean, it, it goes all the way back to the beginning, where you could say when, when we're dealing with the nuts and bolts of trying to figure out um, free will and election, I mean, th those debates go way back. I, I have my convictions on what I think Scripture teaches on it, but I hold a bit more loosely just because of the idea that th these are not just decades-long debates. These are centuries-long, millennia-long debates. Um, when, when you're getting into certain issues— um, even about baptism, you could say, all right, that there are certain elements regarding baptism that you could go all the way back to the beginning. Um, if we're talking about end times issues, there's obviously some rock solid things about what the Bible teaches about end times, but there's other elements where you could say, gosh, from early church times, people were debating these things. That is not the case with the subject of male and, and female and, and with the idea of complementarian versus egalitarian. Um, this is like, maybe a century long to be generous, several decades long that this has been a debate. So some people can look at it today and be like, well, it can't be that big a deal or it can't be that clear because Christians disagree on this. Just because Christians in 2023 don't all agree on this doesn't mean that it's not clear scripturally. So it is absolutely the plainest reading of scripture um, that we could have on this. Um, and and I'll uh, I mean I'll, I'll touch more on this later as we go through. But is um, not only the plainest reading of Scripture, but the dominant view through church history. This was not really debated. There may have been individual elements like can women be deacons or can they not be deacons. But on the overall idea of this, this was just the clear biblical teaching. It's the plainest reading of Scripture. That's what we should stick with. Oh, uh, now I remember what I was going to say. Whereas with something like, um, you know, well, well, Jesus says the Father is greater than I am, and, and we don't accept the plainest reading on that, um, the difference is that what we're dealing with here with this is something where there's not one passage on it, but a wealth of passages. Um, in fact, I was, I was listening to this audio book um, a few weeks ago, and uh, the author was um, talking about this subject that they were clearly coming from an egalitarian perspective. And, and I swear when I'm going to say this, I'm not trying to parody them. But uh, they said something to the effect of um, the Bible doesn't say much about the sort of different roles and responsibilities of men and women, uh, apart from Ephesians 5 and 1 Peter 3 and Colossians 3 and 1 Timothy 2 and 1 Timothy 3 and 1 Corinthians 14 and 1 Corinthians 11. And uh, I was listening to this and I was like, is this a joke? Like, this sounds like a complimentarian making fun of an egalitarian. Like, it was bizarre where they say, the Bible doesn't say much about this apart from, and then they just keep naming passages, Titus 1, Titus 2, First, it, we just keep going. At what point do you say, that's a lot of passages, and not a lot of passages that, that mention it just sort of in a vague, passing way, but that are overtly teaching about that subject? 
That's a lot of passages. This is the plainest reading of Scripture. So that's the first reason why I'm a complementarian. Um, the second reason that I'm a complementarian is that it's not just the plainest reading of a select amount of passages of Scripture, but it is the consistent pattern of Scripture. One of the things I like to say is when we get to a passage like 1 Timothy 2, where Paul says, I don't, uh, I don't permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, or when we get to Ephesians 5 and he says, uh, wives submit to husbands as, um, as, you do, um, as you do to the, uh, as the church does to Christ. Um, for us, as 21st century people living in the United States of America, we read those passages and we're just like, whoa, we're, we're jarred by it. We're like, where did that come from? Like, I, I was just thinking about Jesus and faith and hope and salvation, and suddenly I'm, I'm hit with this shocking teaching. It would not be shocking if we started in Genesis and got to Ephesians after reading through everything. It would not be shocking if we started in Genesis and got to 1 Timothy 2 and we're reading all the way through. Those passages do not come out of nowhere. Those passages come out of a full context in the Bible where the consistent pattern is that men and women are not doing the same things. And that specifically in areas of leadership, men are consistently called to take the lead in those areas. And that's not simply the calling of Scripture, that's the pattern of Scripture. Going all the way back to the actual—I know we talk a lot about patriarchy these days, but the actual patriarchs with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and, and the sons of Jacob following after that. And the wives had a significant influence and a significant place in what God was doing during that time. But— the men were clearly not only the head of the household, but the, the head of the clan. They were taking on that leadership. Then when you get Israel as a nation, they have priests, and the priests are all men. And it doesn't just sort of happen that way. God tells them to do it that way. And then when you get into the monarchy, when they start to have kings, they have kings, not queens. And some people are like, well, there was a queen. There was Athaliah. Yeah, she usurped the throne and then was put to death for it. She's not a positive example in all of this. When you get to all the books of the New Testament, they're all written by men. All of the prophets um, who have books that bear their name are all men. There were women prophets, but, but just the preponderance of evidence points us to saying that this was not equal here. That there were not an equal number of male and female prophets who were going and doing this work in Israel. When it came to the leaders in war, obviously those were men. Deborah, even as the exception of a judge, was a judge who didn't go to war. She went to where the battle was, but she didn't lead Israel into battle. And then you get to the New Testament, and you're like, but, but Jesus then, Jesus came to change things. I mean, the, the whole Sermon on the Mount, you've heard it said, but I say to you, Jesus chose 12 apostles. They were all men. If there was ever a time for Jesus to say, hey, we've, we've got off track. I want to make sure everybody understands this. It, it wouldn't have even had to be six and six. It could have been like 10 and two or nine and three to, to just put a woman or, or a couple of women in there with the 12. He, he doesn't do that. And then when we get through the rest of the New Testament, we've got men as elders. We've got men as apostles. This is just the pattern. So I say that because in the 21st century, it does feel kind of out of nowhere to us because we live in a very egalitarian society. So if your whole life is lived sort of under the idea of like, hey, women can do everything that men can do, and then suddenly you get to the Bible and you're like, whoa, this, this is weird. It, it does jar us in our culture. If we are living in the world of Scripture, if, if we're understanding the story that God is telling in Scripture, it won't be jarring to us. It, it will make sense within all of this. Um, 
moving on. So, so that's reason number two. It's, it's not only the plainest teaching of Scripture, but it's also the consistent pattern of Scripture. Um, reason number three, why I'm a complementarian, um, is because the whole concept of the different callings for men and women are based not on culture, but on creation. And this one is very, very important. Because once again, most egalitarians, that they'll have to sort of concede the point that like, all right, yeah, on the plainest reading of Scripture, you would come up with a more complementarian view of things. You wouldn't read Scripture and get a whole bunch of things that are like, hey, why aren't you letting that woman teach the man? Hey, why are you telling that wife to submit to your husband? We, we, we get these teachings, but what people would say is, all right, but these are based on culture. The, these are based on sort of going along with the culture or upholding cultural values so that the gospel can go out and there won't be the distraction of kind of gender issues on this. Um, so th there's a few problems with this. Um, one problem, and, and this is the lesser of the two, I'll, I'll get to the bigger problem later, but one is that I'd say um, the biblical authors, while there was some concern about distracting with, with lesser issues, um, that was not sort of a dominant thing going on in the New Testament. You get Paul, and we think, oh, like, all right, Paul was willing to be all things to all people, and so he was willing to sort of adjust himself to the culture where he was and not distract with things. Hey, he has Timothy circumcised, even though he clearly doesn't think circumcision is required, but they're going to go to the Jews. So he's like, hey, Timothy, let's just get him circumcised so that it's not a distraction to what we're doing. But at the same time, we read in Galatians, he refuses to have Titus circumcised because Titus being circumcised would have spent a, sent a clear message to the Galatians that circumcision was really, really important. And so Paul says, nope, we're not going to do it because it's going to become confusing. And so what I do think is, I think it's, I think it's a bad argument just on its face to say, oh, Paul and the other apostles, and, and maybe even going back to Jesus with the 12 apostles, um, all of them said, hey, if, if we elevate women to the level to where we eventually want them, it will be so distracting that people will be talking about that and, and not the gospel. Um, I'm not sure that that's a good argument because Paul was willing to say, hey, I'm willing to offend these Jews or these Jewish Christians, these Jews that we're trying to reach by saying, no, I'm not going to circumcise Titus because it will be a distraction and you'll think salvation is by works. I just ask, why would Paul not have done something similar to say, hey, no, I know in this culture that you don't let women teach men, but we're not having any more of that. Or, hey, I know in this culture wives are supposed to submit to their husbands, but we're not having any more of that. So I, I think on its face, it's, it's not a super strong argument. And beyond that, and this is the even more important critique of this idea that these commands are just based on um, culture, is that those who write them don't base them on culture. A lot of people talk, especially about the First Timothy 2 passage, where Paul says, I don't permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. And they say, oh, well, there are these false teachers in Ephesus, and there was sort of this you know, upstart feminist movement, and, and many of the women were involved in false teachers. So, so Paul is writing specifically about that. So he's writing specifically about that. Um, if Paul was writing specifically about that, it seems like he would have said something to say, the reason why I'm saying this is because the women are caught up on false teaching. Here's what Paul says directly after saying, I don't permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. He says, for Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not the one deceived, 
It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. Paul does not. Now, th this podcast episode right now is not a Bible study where I'm going to go through in depth all these passages. Here's what I'm just pointing out in this. Paul says, I'll tell you why I'm given this, this command for, for uh, the woman. And, and I think what he's talking about is in a formal church setting, she's not going to be the one that's getting up and teaching the men. I think the Paul then says, um, I'll tell you the reasons for this. The reasons for this are the order of creation and the way things went down with the fall. Now, in a different episode, we could get into that and be like, what precisely is the reasoning here and what is Paul doing? The point is this. Paul doesn't ground it in culture. He grounds it in creation. He does the same thing in 1 Corinthians 11 in, in the confusing passage about head coverings, which it's, it's hard sometimes for us to discern today, like, was a head coverings thing? That may have been cultural, but there are uh, underpinning things behind that that are not cultural, that, that are clearly talking about masculinity and femininity here. Here's what he says in 1 Corinthians 11, verses 8 and 9. For man did not come from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. Now, Paul does go on later to talk about the inner um, it, it, uh, interdependence um, of men and women, the whole idea of like, all right, the first woman came from a man, but now all men come from women. But here, once again, he goes back to creation. And he says the reason why we're functioning differently as men and women is not because there are certain things that the Corinthians are just kind of bothered by. It's because of the fact that this goes back to creation and how God made us for each other. Um, one more, in Ephesians chapter 5, when Paul tells wives to submit to husbands, he doesn't say because the Ephesians have scruples about this and it's going to be distracting. He says, for the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. And here, this is even beyond the idea of grounding this in creation. This is grounding this in the gospel. The gospel goes to every culture, and Paul says the way that it's working in marriage, the reason it's working this way is because it's paralleling a gospel truth that does not change. So it's not that we're looking at these passages and we've got one group of people saying, no, these are ongoing commands, and another group of people saying, no, I think that they're cultural commands. It's that we've got some people saying they're cultural commands, and we have the biblical authors saying these are not, these are grounded in creation or the gospel. So if you're having the egalitarian position, you're like, I, I think that these are cultural. I, I want to say this politely, but I want to say I don't think you're arguing with me. I think you're arguing with Paul. I think you're arguing with the biblical authors on this. Um, finally, here's the, the fourth reason um, why I'm a complementarian. And, and this one kind of brings it full circle. We start with just what does Scripture say? The fourth reason why I'm a complementarian is because I absolutely firmly believe that the complementarian position is good for both men and women. The main reason why I believe this is because I believe that God is good to both men and women. God is not setting us up in a scenario where as men and women, we have different callings and unique things that we bring to the table and that God is calling us to lean into that, not just sort of like, all right, fulfill your role, but then do whatever you want, but really lean into the idea that as a man, you're created to be a man and not a woman and lean into the idea that if you're a woman, you're created to be a woman and not a man. Lean into that. God is not calling us to lean into that because he doesn't like us and he wants us to be sad and miserable. God is calling us to that because that is fulfilling the, the most the, the most rich and joyful way that we can be human beings. 
Uh, now, some of you are going to say, but for some, and uh, for, for some women, it's, it's hard. Like for some women, maybe they feel like they have the personality and the propensity that sub submitting to their husband d doesn't sound that bad to them. And they kind of want to be with the kids and they don't have any interest in, in uh, taking the lead up front in a church. And so for, for them, that's great. But there are some women that maybe have more leadership gifts or maybe just have a personality that they grade against that. And so it's, it's hard for them. So why can't we just say, hey, for, for some women that seem more geared to this, they're going to submit to their husbands and, and they're uh, not going to end up as elders. But for these other women, that they're just different. So, so maybe it's not good for them. Maybe it's good for these women, but maybe it's not good for these women. Um, here's what we have to recognize. God's calling for all of us on anything is at the same time going to be both hard and good. It, it's going to be difficult, but it's going to be wonderful. Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. Um, in another place, in Matthew 11, Jesus says, come to me and I will give you rest for your souls. And in the same passage, he says, take my yoke upon you, which is a way of saying, do everything that I tell you to do. It's going to be a yoke. It's not going to be easy. It, there's going to be some difficulty, but it's where you'll find rest for your soul. So I, I think that this is important for both of us. Man, there's some men, and I know some of them, that they are born leaders. So the idea for that man to say, hey, I, I have the responsibility to take leadership within my home and within my family, um, and then I also have some extra uh, responsibility, whether or not I have formal leadership uh, at my church or in my workplace, that it's just, it's a good thing for me as a man to be looking to take the lead, looking to take the initiative, looking to take responsibility. There's some men that that, that is, is much more accessible to them. That sounds great to them. And even some of them need to dial it back to say, you don't always need to be in charge. You need to also be willing to submit. And then there's other men that would rather not. Um, there's a lot of men, and I, I feel like a lot of men who are indulging this right now, who are indulging the idea of just wanting to sit back and let somebody else take care of it. So the deal here is not that we have a whole bunch of human beings and all of them are vying for the top. We've got a bunch of men that are vying for the top and need to watch that. And then we've got a bunch of men that would be happy to have the egalitarian position. would be happy to be like, oh, she's going to take care of the spiritual guidance of the children. I don't have to carry that burden. That sounds great. If she's going to choose what church we go to, I don't need to worry about that. That sounds great. She's going to take care of sort of this decision-making. That sounds fine. So for men to truly be masculine in the way that God is calling us to be masculine, it's on the one hand, good, and on the other hand, hard. And for women, in the same way, for women to be feminine in the way that God is calling women to be feminine, to, to embrace real biblical femininity, it's good and it's hard. So when we look at it and we say, well, well but some women aren't like that, this is God's calling for us, and it's good and it's hard. And it even goes back to Genesis 3 with the fall, where in the aftermath of um, Adam and Eve sinning, where God says to the women, uh, says to the woman, you're, you're going to have pain in childbirth, which is tragic that um, in one of the most beautiful things about being a woman, bringing life into the world through her body, that there's going to be great grief and pain. And then he says, your desire will be for your husband, but he will rule over you. And uh, 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 I'll just give the quick two cents on this. What seems to be going on is that uh, God is saying, you're going to desire to control your husband, but he's going to dominate you. And both those are bad. It's bad for her to try to control him, and it's bad for him 
to try to dominate her. What God is basically saying is there's going to be strife between the sexes now. There's going to be strife between men and women. Instead of joyfully receiving the part that God has called us to play in this world, we're, we're going to be striving against each other. Men are going to be passive and uh, domineering, you know, sometimes passive, sometimes domineering. Women are going to be tempted to be manipulative at different— we're going to not play out these callings well. And so part of it, when we say, well, but for some women, they don't want to do that— that's because of the fall. Well, for some men, they don't want to take the lead. That's because of the fall. And instead of just saying, well, well, I should just sort of embrace that, not all men are going to be leaders in the same way. Not all women are going to submit in the same way. To, to submit doesn't mean that you're the one who talks less or is quieter. There, there's all sorts of different ways that this is lived out. But at the end of the day, we don't need to look at this and try to find some other solution. What we need to do is to look at this and say, God is wiser than we are. A complementarian position, which I believe is just the biblical position, is good for all of us. It's good for society. And as we're living in a society where we're, we're even to the point where we're not sure what a man or a woman is, um, and maybe some of you are like, well, why don't you talk about that? Why, why don't you talk about that instead of talking about this? This seems like small potatoes. How do we get to the point that we're not sure what a man is and not sure what a woman is? Well, maybe if we were to take one step back from the transgender subject, we would get to the homosexuality issue. And we'd say, you know what, there was a while where that was a battlefront, and then a lot of people abdicated that battlefront um, and just said, we, we got to focus on different things. At some level, the idea of saying, doesn't matter if marriage is a man and a woman, could be two men, could be two women. We went down the road of saying, we don't really have a clear definition of what it is to be manly and what it is to be womanly because we can have two men married and two women married. And if you go back a step before that, we would end up somewhere at our confusion about feminism and what manhood and what womanhood is. So when we get back to this, we're, we're not dealing with small potatoes. We're not dealing with some obscure thing. We're, we're saying we are living in a culture where we don't know how to be men and women. We need to trust God on this. And instead of being apologetic to the world, instead of saying, hey, I know we're old-fashioned, but sorry, we've got this Bible and we've got to stick with it, we can say we have God's Word that brings life and help to a confused and dark society. Friends, we don't have to be embarrassed about it. We don't have to be apologetic. We're not prideful in ourselves, but we're confident in God's Word. And we can confidently lean in as men to God's calling for us as men, and lead in, lean in as women to God's calling for us as women. Um, like I said, in past episodes and maybe in future episodes, there's going to be more about getting into the nitty-gritty of this, but I did want to spend a little bit of time just talking about the big picture. This is why I hold this position. This is why our church holds this position. We're not embarrassed about it. We talk about it freely, and we talk about it confidently because we think that's the way God has talked about it, and we want to mimic Him in that. Um, so thanks for taking the time to listen to this. Um, I would love feedback, comments, questions, um, even if there's practical things. If you're listening to this and you're like, all right, I, I feel like I agree with the big picture of this, but what does it look like as a man who's maybe a bit more quiet and timid to lean into this? Or what does it look like as a woman who has real strong leadership abilities to, to move forward and do this? Those are great discussions to have. I'd love to be a part of that on this video. We post all the videos of the Christian Contrast onto YouTube, so you can find them all on the YouTube channel for Life Bible Fellowship Church. And then we also put them on our website, lbf.church. You can find this episode and back episodes. You can check them out. We put out new episodes every two weeks, so we've got a lot by now.
Um, and I'll be back in two weeks with another episode, and I'll look forward to that. In the meantime, thanks so much for taking the time to listen to this, and I'll see you next time on the show.